Welcome back to the Ramble Room. This is Ken. I'm here with Diane. We have a couple of special guests. Um, I I look around the room and I think I'm about the only one here that has never published. I feel a little bit um, outweighted, I guess you could say. But um, to my left, I, I love saying that. To my left, is, that hurts. Is, <laughs> is uh, Chris Adamo and. He did some looking into Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, and then he wrote a response to it. And that book is currently available on Amazon. It's called Rules for Defeating Radicals. We want to welcome Chris Adamo. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Good to have you here. To his left, you can see where this is going. (laughs) To this left is our dear friend Charles Cole, who is also... Well, he's had several hours to talk about his books, so we'll not plug them any further to bore you to death. True. <laughs> anyway, Charlie, it is always good to have you here. Good to see you all. And good to see Chris. Finally get yeah. to meet him in person. We've yes. talked a bit online. It's been yeah. great. Now we get to now we get to meet. Yep. And several of us, uh, Diane edits for the... Wyoming Conservative Chronicle. Yeah, Wyoming Conservative Chronicle. I can't even say it, so you said it. And uh, I think everybody in here writes for them as well, at least on some brief occasions. Um, Pretty no, regularly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of it is fun to see uh, people face to face, and and instead of just a little black and white photograph. And we we met Chris because of Charlie, so that's fun. Yeah. Yes, and we're all tied together in different ways because conservatives must cling together somehow and we don't have to be bitter first thing i'm going to do though is chris because you're the new guy here uh, let our listeners know a little bit about you where you're from where you live in now um and yeah include other places where you're published okay well i was uh, i was born in cheyenne wyoming uh, kind of traveled around the country growing up my dad was in the weather bureau Joined the Air Force out of high school, spent a year in Korea. Then I taught school in, in uh, military school there in Denver and worked in aerospace until the Challenger blew up. And uh, at that point, uh, aerospace pretty much shut down, and I ended up getting a job at the power plant in Wheatland, Wyoming, to work there 30, 30 years till I retired in 2018. And then we moved to St. Joseph, Missouri, and that's where I completed my book. And so as far as the sites where I'm on, uh, the, there's um, GOP USA, uh, comes out of, uh, out of uh, Houston, Texas, Bobby Everly, um, who's also now the chairman of the Fort Bend, Fort Bend County, Texas, the 10th largest county in Texas, GOP chairman. And uh, so he has this, this website. And then we have uh, the NOQ report from J.D. Rucker and uh, Red Voice Media and a few others. So, yeah, I have a weekly commentary. It goes out all over the place. So, Charlie, I was just kidding. You go ahead and remind the folks about your books and where they can read your your publications. Well, I'm like they are Chris, worth reading. I'm like Chris. I published it on Amazon. Uh, I did it about five years ago. It's based on my experiences in the in the Soviet Union. I I spent uh, six months there in uh, 1972, 50 years ago. And uh, people say, "Well, that's out of date now." I said, "Really? Read your newspaper. That's not <laughs> yeah. out of date." Turn on a television. That's not out of date. Uh, and that's really the reason I wrote it, because I wanted to tell people, you know, I've seen the end of this movie. I, I don't think you want to share in this. So my book is called um, uh, Russian, In Russian Wonderland, colon, An American's Odyssey in Soviet Russia. And I wrote it 
shortly after the, well, I got the idea for it after Obama was reelected in 2012. I said, what? Wait a minute. And then I got real active in it in uh, 2016, published it in 2017. Uh, but it's an attempt to show people uh, if you think this, this idea of socialism, communism, collectivism, Dadaism, whatever you want to call it, if you think that's a neat thing, eh, look, look at what I saw. And I, I try to use real-world examples because I walked the ground for six months and I spoke to Russians in Russian and I learned an awful lot. Then I went back to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California and taught Russian there for 30 years and I worked with, oh, hundreds of Soviet emigres, all of whom reinforced the basic things that I had seen on the ground. So I knew I, w I hadn't lost touch with reality because they reconfirmed every single thing I saw. And so mine was just an attempt to say to people, you know, uh, history is a great teacher if you listen to it, and uh, it's a great early warning system if you use it. Speaking of a great teacher, I'm not going to let you off the hook, Diane. You need to tell the listeners just briefly about what you have published. Give a little bit of background about who they are, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard you and haven't realized what you have done. Okay. When we were homeschooling, I was um, putting together my own curriculum and just realized that it was a lot of work and maybe other people could benefit by it. My book is called Further Up and Further In, and it's a, unit, a literature unit study on the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's been out, well, when you first did it, I don't even think we had internet. So. We had email. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> At any rate, it, it has done very well, gone through a couple of printings, and I hope that's of some interest to you. In the meantime, Chris, you're kind of the special guest here. Well, thank so you. Give us, give us, first of all, if you would, a little bit of a brief review or an overview of what Saul Alinsky's piece was about, what, where he was coming from. Okay, and that's a good question because we got to start from the recognition it was not written as rules for the majority. It was rules for radicals. How do we take a little tiny minority and um, magnify their power through, frankly, dirty tricks and underhanded tactics and t intimidation and other things and magnify their influence to the point where they can sway policy. Um, I began noticing in the, in the 90s and, and uh, first part of this century that we were losing battles that we should be winning. And um, it, it just keeps happening. We keep getting set up. We keep walking into these snares, and we're, we're losing. That's why we've lost so much ground. Um, so I began looking into Alinsky and how he operated and realized that it, it was never a matter of a straightforward approach to here's the issues, what do the people really want? It was always underhanded. It was always uh, dirty tricks and, and just uh, devious ways of manipulation. So how do we counter this? Well, my first uh, approach as I was starting to write the book, the plan was to go down his 13 rules and say, here's what he does, here's what we do in response. Very quickly that became obvious that wasn't going to work. That's a defensive response. The most you can hope to, to do, if you do absolutely well, is to break even. And so um, I uh, just kind of revamped my approach and said, what we need to do is look at who they are and how they operate, and then let's sit down and strategize how we can actually supersede their dirty tricks. 
And amazingly, um, spoil alert, alert here, is that once you, once you get to that point, you realize that if you know who they are, if you know what the dirty tricks are as they're coming, it's not that hard to prevail against them. It's not that hard to avoid the snares. But you got to be principled. you got to be ready to do what's right, even though they're going to mock it. And, uh, and so I put the book together on that basis, and uh, I've had several people, some prominent people, look at it and uh, actually uh, really appreciate the approach. And uh, they're using it with some really good success. Yeah, I can, uh, I can certainly say amen to everything that Chris just said. And having read the book, I was originally uh, very impressed by th exactly that approach, that, you know, we, we're, whether it's with the media or whether it's wherever it is, we're always playing defense. Right. We're always playing in their stadium. We're accepting their terms. I'll give you three just quick examples of that. Three, three of these things really just drive me nuts. Like Tom Kelly said in our last interview, he said, the, our democracy, that, that just infuriates me when I hear it. And yet, I've heard our people mm -hmm. on our side, conservatives, talk about, oh, we have to, yes, do this for our democracy. Stop it. The second thing that drives me nuts is the science. <laughs> and wait a minute. Which science are we talking about? Are we talking about... Uh, sophisticated three-dimensional sonogram technology which proves without a scintilla beyond a scintilla of a doubt that that's a human being in there stop it the science uh, are we talking about biology you know oh, gee these people are the young young people are confused about who they are which their gender is wait how about biology how about that science and the third thing i've said it before in this broadcast and i'll say it as long as i have breath please everybody let's stop calling them liberals. There is nothing liberal about these people. They're as illiberal and as as radical as you want to get. We also have to change the name of the county and state central committees. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that's a, f a special favorite of mine, given the Soviet <laughs> examples. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, one of the things I, I actually describe in there is that uh, when you look at the, the term Democrat Party versus Democratic I'm putting my fingers up in quotes. Uh, and if you watch them, now they, they, they've gotten quite a bit more, more hysterical about everything lately, but if you call it the Democrat Party, they get mad because they want to try and paint themselves up as the people that are just for democracy, for everybody has a voice and all of that. They're not that, just no, like Charles said. Not at all. And so when you call them the Democrat Party, it's like they're a bunch of leftists, not even liberals, and, and they're... They just put this title on themselves of Democrats, and, and that's it. There's nothing more um, wholesome or pro-America about it than that. This part of the legacy of Rush Limbaugh was we now talk about the Democrat Party rather than the yeah. Democratic Party. You mentioned, Chris, this idea about you have to stick to your principles. And one of the things that I have noticed in watching big-name politicians is you watch those I'm going to say on the left. Is that okay? Yeah. I hope so. I'm, I'm checking with Charlie. because <laughs> Well, we can deal with the two sides of the coin okay. later, but that's all right. Um, you watch those on the left, and quite often they're using teleprompters or they have buzzwords or they have words that don't mean what they mean. When you, when you listen to a true conservative, we don't use teleprompters. We don't need notes. We know what we think. We speak the truth. We say the same thing consistently every time. Um, there's a marked difference there between 
talking with someone who is a principled person and talking with someone who just wants to say things to make you react. Right, the, the canned talking points versus the principled response uh, when you've analyzed a situation and say this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. No, I was just looking at the table of contents. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to notice chapter one there. I talk about liberals. <laughs> Busted. Now we got to do volume two. <laughs> I, I can explain that, by the way. <laughs> no, well, really, I, I didn't know if you wanted to address any of these points and um, because I hadn't seen what they were, but um, like sure. establishing truth by presumption. Some of these things are things that we, if you've been paying attention, you've seen them happening incrementally. Exactly. But if you haven't, you're just sitting there going, I don't really understand why we're talking about this all of a sudden. Why do we have in the in the junior high here, why are we catering to kids who think they're cats? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, the um, that I believe is about chapter four or five there where I'm talking about the labels and mantras. Um, labels, something they use, um, and again, you watch their reaction. If you use a label, it's accurate and it makes them mad. They use a label, a label to uh, categorize you as the bad guy in any situation. The goal always goes back to having us fight defensively and having them on offense, having them on their phony moral high ground Um, where they promote the most absurd and obscene things while we're trying to prove the entire time that we're really not as bad as they they say we are. And uh, it's a losing fight at that point. Uh, The mantras have to do with the fact that they'll come out and they'll say things are a certain way. You don't care about kids unless, and fill in the blank there, usually has to do with money and power. But um, the idea is, is that now you've got to go the extra mile and show that you care about kids by following their agenda. And, uh, and we've done that. And then, like you said, we see our politicians fall into that and just way too often. You mentioned phony moral high ground. Yeah. And you always see what we call projection. Yes. They'll turn around and they'll point a finger at you and say, this is what you're doing. And invariably, when we're dealing with these people, that's exactly what they're doing, and that's why they think you're doing that, mm-hmm. I'm it, guessing. It's actually not you why they that. think you're doing it. They know they're lying. Mm-hmm. It's why they have to, to portray things in such a way that the attention of the people in the middle is, is directed at you. Uh, you know, think Hillary Clinton talking about Donald Trump's criminal behavior when you talk about that. <laughs> um, it's beyond the pot, calling the kettle black. I heard Whoopi just the other day talking about the only reason— the only reason that we chose Herschel Walker was because he's black. Say, so, okay, we got to have somebody run down there. Who do you know who's black? Okay, we know her. Okay, get him. Never talk about the issues. Right. Again, one of the premises of the book there, and this one, and I challenge liberals to, uh, on this, and I've never had a taker on it yet. That uh, liberals, leftists, excuse me, Charles, collectivists, that, collectivists. Okay, <laughs> um, that they never care about any issue that they talk about. They never care about any cause they claim to champion. And I said, wow, that's a blanket statement. I can prove it to you. you know, name your issue. And, and their motives are always self-serving, uh, using whatever the issue, whatever the plight is, whatever the crisis is, using it for leverage to advance their real agenda, which is gaining power. And if you want to talk about projection, there was no better example, I don't think, than in the 2012 presidential election, Joe Biden, the vice presidential candidate was in a black church and he said and i quote 
talking about the Republicans. Yeah, they want to put you all back in chains. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yep. Now, if you think about that for a nanosecond, you ask yourself, wait a second. Which party had black people in chains and refused to let them out? Mm-hmm. Which party, after federal law, said you cannot have slaves anymore? They must be allowed to vote. Said, which party in the South was it that went to ultra-liberal, uh, just, just ex- extreme measures to stop that? Well, what, here's a clue. It wasn't the Republicans. So if anybody wants to talk about chains, and he did it again with the election law in Georgia when he said, oh, this is Jim Crow 2.0 or Jim Crow on steroids. Jim Crow? You really want to talk about Jim Crow? Our problem is, as I see it, as Chris has pointed out in the book many times, we don't jump on that issue right away and, and call him out and say, hold it, pal. You just said this. Let's talk about some history here. Mm-hmm. Our people don't do that. That's because they don't know the history. And that's part of when you were saying that they accuse you of doing things wrong so that people are – so that the um, attention is focused on you. It's also to confuse them because they – the people in the middle listening are not principled enough to know that there is a right and wrong. So all there is is how do I decide which one of you is the most convincing? (laughs) Yeah, and and you nailed it when you talked about the people in the middle, because that's what we got to focus on. I'm not going to convince Nancy Pelosi to be a nice person. You know, I'd love it if she had a road to Damascus moment, but barring that, I'm not going to persuade her that what she's doing is wrong and that she's dishonest. She already knows that. What I've got to do is portray those things as bluntly as you're saying, so that the people in the middle can look at what's going on and say, "This is this is the real issue." And uh, we've seen some of that really start to happen. Uh, we've seen it with Donald Trump. We've seen it with Ron DeSantis, uh, maybe to a lesser extent with Greg Abbott. Um, Missouri Governor Mike Parson is, is, is one of those doing it too. And it works every time we try it, every time we come out and bluntly say so. But the minute they can accuse you of anything, I don't care how absurd it is, and get you to apologize or react defensively, now they're validated. Now they're on their phony moral high ground, and they're preaching at you. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you have to watch out for with people like that is I really like your Senator, Hawley. I mean, he's one of my favorites because he tells it like it is, and he doesn't care what they write about him. He doesn't care what they say about him. Our problem has been we've been so McConnellized and goober-grammized <laughs> that uh, we're, we're always sitting there saying, well, here's what I think, and then duck. It's like they'll duck and cover from the 50s. You know, that wasn't going to protect you from nuclear, and that's not going to protect you from what they're going to say about you. They're going to say it anyway. You, you must not care. Going back to something that you've said many times, Ken, on these podcasts, and I, I thoroughly agree with it, uh, it's under the rubric of truth and being principled. Uh, some of our younger people, going back to what Diane just said, not knowing history and not knowing, well, enough factual background, uh, I don't watch Fox News anyway. Every once in a while, I'll watch Tucker. He's still pretty good a lot of times. Uh, I do like to watch some of the shows on Newsmax, but here's an example. The young guy, Schmidt, on Newsmax, he's pretty good. The problem is, here's what he was talking about when Roe versus Wade was, was handled in the Supreme Court recently. He said, well, it's really good that we're going to take this issue and defederalize it and put it back in the states where it belongs. Now, when it comes to the sta- into the states... We can all have rational discussions about what would be uh, acceptable, uh, 15 weeks or 12 weeks. And I liken that to saying, 
okay, here's my parallel of that in history. That's like saying, well, how dare the Germans had six extermination camps? Two would have been plenty. And why did they kill six million? Couldn't they stop at a million and a half? Murder is murder. Wrong is wrong. And our people just don't know enough to be able to come up with those examples to say, wait a minute, this is an either-or thing. And we have to fight it on the basis of truth. And in this case, science. They love science. How about 3D sonogram technology? I'll keep talking about that because that is a, that is that is exactly the issue that Roe versus Wade turned on in 1973. I've read the court, I've read the transcripts, and I heard, uh, I saw that where one of the justices who was completely politically motivated, but nonetheless he asked the Texas Attorney General, uh, oh no, he asked the the uh, the attorney for the plaintiff for Roe, uh, if it were shown that a fetus was a human being, you'd have quite a mountain to climb, wouldn't you? And she said, yes, Mr. Justice, I would. The prosecution rests. We now have that scientific data without a scintilla of doubt. But that's an example of why, of how our side just isn't up to the... We're as, never, never fully up to the fight. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm pro-life, but I don't mm-hmm. want to be extreme. Okay, well, if, rape, rape and incest. I'm going to cower on. If if that's if that's an unborn child, if that's a human being, then there's no extreme to saying I don't want to see that innocent life destroyed. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, the, again, it's all that standard Alinsky uh, tactic of um, twisting and pervert, perverting things to the point where you feel like you're kind of on shaky ground. And so, well, we'll try and try and find some common ground. Let's try and get along. I'll try and nice show that guy. we're reasonable. Maybe they'll cut me some slack. Exactly. And when your focus is on that, on the enemy liking you, mm-hmm. you you've you've dropped the ball. I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm reminded of words that Jesus said when he said, "You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And I think that's that's very important. It also reflects a little bit on what Diane said, is they, they don't know their history. They don't know the truth. They've been educated, brainwashed through various methods. And that, I have not had the opportunity yet to read your book. But I'm sensing that part of your message must be educate yourself, know the truth, know it inside out and backwards instinctively, and then proclaim that. Am I close? That, that, you're you're I'm close. A guess. <laughs> um, the first thing that I really focus on is don't let your your enemy set the boundaries on you. Your enemies out there, you know, rampaging. I, I describe them as vandals with spray paint, but they're telling you to color inside the lines. Mm-hmm. And and the minute you try to do that, well, guess what? They start drawing the lines for you, and they start tightening the boundaries on you. Um, we don't have to play by their rules. As a matter of fact, when we don't play by their rules. Um, they lose all power over us. And when they do try to attack us, and again, I'll use DeSantis as a great example, or Donald Trump, they try to attack us on these things, and instead of being embarrassed, mm-hmm. we double down. All of a sudden, every, every subsequent attack after that becomes an opportunity for us to say, see, they're at it again. Look, look at the hypocrisy. Look at the disingenuousness. Suddenly now, their attacks are working to our advantage. Instead of us being embarrassed by it, they're the ones that are showing what they are. And the minute they realize that, the attack collapses. And there's no better example of that phenomenon than the dichotomy between the odious January 6th and the hundreds of 
Antifa BLM riots where thousands of people were injured, multiple people killed, billions of dollars in property damage against that that's no that's okay, but the frat party of January sixth that just got out of control, that's that's what? Uh, what do they call it? An insurrection. Uh, an insurrection. Yeah. Domestic never, terrorism. Yeah, I've never. Well, domestic terrorism is also when you stand up at a school board meeting and you say, "Why did you put that in the curriculum?" Oh, yeah. oh call the FBI. But that—that's a ex- perfect example yeah. of what you're talking about, Chris. Because notice they have—they have twisted the actual events around to make Joseph Goebbels taught the Germans how to do this. You can make any bad look good, and you can make any good look bad. And our people in the media, especially, and in education, et cetera, <laughs> they've become masters of that after the past 40 years. Yeah. We're way behind in this game, way behind. There, there's not knowing history, but there's also part of that is not realizing how it got to be where Christians were afraid to say there is a right and wrong. Yeah. Because, again, the people in the middle, they're not sure where morality comes from, and we stop telling them. So they need some ground to stand on. They need us to stand on it so they can see, oh, oh, right, yes, there really is moral high ground. And it's okay to say that. And, and it's okay to say it without couching it in, well, I believe the other side might have a point or, or I'm not trying to be disagreeable or something. No, you know what? You people are trying to poison children with these so-called hormone treatments and these perverse surgeries that you're doing on them to, to stop their puberty or whatever, to, and that's evil. And I'm not going to say it's possibly harmful. I'm not going to say anything like that. It's, it's darn right evil. It's criminal. And not only the people actually doing the surgery, but every so-called teacher, every sicko that calls himself a teacher that, that pushes the kid in that direction, every school board that invites and embraces that stuff, uh, and every media person that tries to paint it up as something nice, they're every bit as bad because they're all contributing 100% to what's happening to those kids. I'd like to take just a minute and read you something that I found today. I'll, I'll try to summarize it, but this is just a classic as to where where, where does all this go the farther you go down this road? Um, I forget exactly who authored this, so it's uh, it, it's not from me. I'm just quoting. In 2015, a Supreme Court majority ruled in uh, Obergefell versus Hodges that, quote, state bans on same-sex marriage and on recognizing same-sex marriages duly performed in other jurisdictions are unconstitutional under the Due Process and Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the United States. Okay, so, so far so good. Where does that go if you leave it untreated? Uh, there was an appointed civil court judge in New York, appointed by either the mayor or the governor, one of those two lunatics, Judge Karen May Bakdayan has now ruled that in a tenancy case, quote, it's possible for two men to both claim partnerships with a third man and that the man whose relationship is being questioned should have a chance to prove his claim in court. She wrote further, what was normal or non-traditional is not a barometer for what is normal or non-traditional now. The definition of family has morphed considerably. Many articles have been written about multi-person relationships in recent years, revealing a preference that for some has long been known. And then the author mentions that in 2015, a YouGov found, a poll found that 25% of those polled, these people in the middle, uh, believed polygamy to be morally acceptable, 
That's a quote out of the out of the book. A 2020 YouGov poll found that one third, 32 percent, of U.S. adults say that their ideal relationship is non-monogamous to some degree. So, again, when when infections are left to to fester, disease metastasizes. Now we're starting to see. Where it, they used to be the Wizard of Oz curtain there, and you couldn't see them. They were saying all these wonderful things behind us. Now they're out in the open. And by the way, this makes them very assailable because I have a feeling that maybe 30, well, 32% of whom, I'll bet you that a lot more people find that ridiculous than would find it normal. Sure. So we're, again, we're in the clear majority, and yet we're playing defense, and I don't get it. Let me throw some good news out there. Uh, longtime Senator Charlie Scott, out of Casper. You probably remember. I remember Charlie he Scott is. from the early 90s. I've, I voted for him I probably 19, 18, 19, 20. Anyway, um, he's still there, and he has brought forth legislation that is going to criminalize or would criminalize sex change treatments for children, makes it a felony, includes puberty-blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, surgeries uh, like mastectomies or castration, um, punishable by up to 10 years in prison. I think that's what you're talking about, of standing up, meeting force with force. And this is something else we've talked about in this show a lot, is you have to meet a force with an equal and opposite force or a greater force in order right. to move the needle. And I commend Charlie. It's not often I do, but I commend <laughs> Charlie on this particular legislation. And I should also meant that our dear friend Chip Nyman is co-sponsoring this bill. Well, so let me ask you something in relationship to that. I absolutely agree on the, all that. Now, back in the day, what would you say about uh, you know, the old cliche of the guy that, that uh, goes up to the kids and he's got his raincoat on and he opens up his raincoat and there's nothing on there? What do you say about a person like that? I mean, a pervert. They're a pervert. They're dangerous. Mm -hmm. They need to go to jail. Yeah. And what do you have going on in the classrooms with these so-called teachers that are parading all this sexuality stuff in front of these kids and engaging in these conversations with these kids and things of this nature. I mean, we've, we've gone down that slippery slope. Those people are just as corrupting as the person who wants to actually do the physical operation on them. When I was eight or nine years old, I thought girls had cooties. They were gross. <laughs> you didn't touch them. You know, eventually that changed. But there is this battle, it's an evil battle, to sexualize children, yeah. to have them dealing with things that they are not emotionally, physically, or in any other way ready to deal with and to make that okay. And I don't understand the evil behind it. But the bill that we're talking about, isn't that the legislature trying to have tell people what they can do with their personal choices? It's, it's, it's protecting the children from abuse. This is, I'm glad you brought that up. Article 7, Section 20, the Wyoming Constitution, because I once subjected to the concept, well, you really can't legislate morality. <laughs> and there is some truth to that. I mean, just because it's a law doesn't mean everybody's going to behave it, but it does kind of There's a, a book you need to read standard. about that particular subject. <laughs> I probably should. <laughs> but do you know that in the Wyoming Constitution, not only are we... We are called to legislate morality. 
Look it up for yourself, Article 7, Section 20. I can't quote it, and I don't have it right here. It's on my desk at the House. But basically what it's saying is we are supposed to make laws that promote morality. Mm-hmm. Now, in actually legislating morality, what that when that was originally stated, I forget who it was back in history, what they were saying is you're not going to get people to be moral in here by passing enough laws to make them want to be good people. God proved that with Israel. That's fine, and that's absolutely right. What we have to have is laws that stop people from perpetrating evil against exactly, the innocent. Exactly, yeah. You yeah. can't, my mother finally reached that point, God the rest of her soul, she's in heaven now, but she used to say that, you can't legislate morality. Before she passed away at age 87, 88, which she, we had a little conversation about it, and she says, you know, the more I think about it, that's that may be true. But you can and must legislate against immorality. Amen. There is no other reason for government than to protect innocence, to protect liberty. That's That's the only reason we have governments. And they're trying to reverse that and take away the only reason for government. And their reason for government appears to be, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, power and control. Yeah, the, the idea is we want to stop people from doing bad things to the innocent. They want to take the law and make it a weapon to force you to do good things. And again, I got my quote fingers up again because they're the one that defines good and bad, and we're going to make a good person out of you by telling you you have to do this, you have to do that, and we could go down the list. if you're not a good person, you can't borrow money. If you want to open a business that doesn't agree with our agenda, you can't borrow money, et cetera, and it goes on. For, For now, you can't do that. Yeah. You let that metastasize some more, and eventually, looking down the road, it's get in that boxcar over there. Mm-hmm. That's where this is going. Yep. Yep. I was just going to say, being a good person, the qualifications for that keep changing, too. Right, exactly. You can't, if even, no matter how hard you try to be that good person, you're never going to make it. But that's, well, it's, it's an orthodoxy. That, that's a reflection of what we were talking about earlier. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you reject truth then it becomes something that is subject to the whims or the needs of the moment. That's, it starts at that, and it goes only downhill from there. One of the things, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, Charles, you are looking into history as you have, the, 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 the mob mentality. If we can take away all your moral guideposts, the only thing you have left is an obsession to be accepted into the mob. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, you're capable of anything. Well, because then it 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 transcends over to control, and that's that's basically a function of fear. They maintain the control through the fear, mm-hmm. and if that doesn't work, they turn up the control and get more fear. But uh, I, I mean, the idea of of truth, which you just re- referred to again, one of the best way, and these 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 regimes that we're talking about in the past, whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Mao or whoever it is. How did they address that? They they not only perverted the truth, but they made sure that you didn't have access to any other information than what they were giving out. Remind you of CNN, MSNBC, Twitter, Twitter Facebook. Yeah, yeah. this is this is dangerous stuff. See, there, there's a reason for that. Is that um, if you have a proper uh, defense, a proper argument for the stance you take then the more information, the more discussion of it, even the more questioning that the opposition does, the more opportunities you have to promote it. But when you have a weak, indefensible stance because it's morally bankrupt, because it's bad policy, bad economics, Mm -hmm. or or whatever, then 
the only way to keep it going is to suppress the opposition so that your your phony arguments can stand. There's a, there's one other aspect of this that I want to bring in before we run out of time, and that is that uh, the the term deep state we've heard it floated around. This this deep state has been getting deeper and deeper for decades now, and really. Uh, I found a wonderful quote by a Holocaust survivor named Primo Levi. He wrote, Monsters exist, but they are too few in number to be truly dangerous. More dangerous are the common men, the functionaries ready to believe and to ask and to act without asking questions. This is now what we're facing with our own federal government. Look at the things that the FBI is now doing. Uh, by any l rational legal standard, this is totally unacceptable. This, this is tyranny in front of your face. And they do it not, in the, not at night. They do it broad daylight. They're saying, we're going to do this, and you can't stop us. And if you don't like it, we're going to deploy 87,000 IRS agents to squeeze you until you do like it. And a final word on Charlie Case's uh, uh Senator Case's Scott, uh, Scott um, legislation there. That's wonderful. You know what I'm afraid of, though? Let's say that it introduces in the Senate, passes, goes to the House, passes. Let's say that even Gordon somehow has an off day and signs it. <laughs> Who's to say that they're not going to then run right to that same judge up in Jackson that did the, did the number on our, our uh, abortion law? That's... This is, this is what I've been trying to preach to groups that I talk to of late. We need to stand up and practice active citizenship. This isn't a part-time deal. You can't go in there and say, I live in District 29. I just went down there and voted for Ken Pendergraph. Good. I'm done. No, you're not. Because you need to sit there and you need to watch with the available resources every vote. that Ken Bentergraf, he said he's going to do this, check the votes. And where it really meets the road is behind that curtain where you can't see it, judicial. Uh, I'm going to go down to the courthouse one of these days and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to get real smart about the Wyoming judicial system. I don't know enough about it, but I do know enough to know that if you have the wrong governor, you are in trouble as far as the judiciary in this state goes. And that, that judge in uh, Jackson just proved it. As I drove in here, I was hearing the story about Alex Jones. Have you guys heard what has happened to Alex Jones today? Huh. You know who he is. Oh, mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay. A jury has awarded $965 million, almost a billion dollars, from him because he spoke his mind. Talk about chilling. You go out there, and they say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, and he, he did all sorts of horrible things by saying that. Okay, accept or don't accept it, but that's speech. Right. And they're going to charge him a billion dollars for speaking his mind. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to get you and me to say, you know, I better, yep. I better yep. back off a little bit, pull my punches a little bit, because I don't want to be the next one. Well, yep. look what these wonderful lawyers who all got together here and signed that letter uh, to Harriet Hageman. Did you hear about the letter yeah. to her? I haven't. There's 50 lawyers across Wyoming, five or six of them are here in Sheridan, and they signed a letter basically saying to Harriet Hageman, when you got up at your rally in Casper where Trump was and you said the 2020 election was rigged, you 
have done permanent damage to our, our whole legal fiber. It's a fabric of our country, of our state. And they said, you, we cannot support uh, such blatant, get ready for this, election denialism. So just for the heck of it, I got the first email that I could find off the list, and it was some lawyer here in Sheridan. I sent an email. I said, by the way, election denialism, can you I've never I can't find that in any statute book. I can't find it in any code. I can't even find a case reference to that by shepherdizing it. Can you tell me what the elements are of that offense or that ethical violation of crickets? Nothing. Because again, that's an attempt to go ahead and tell her, hey, you may have beat Liz Cheney, but you haven't beaten us. We're gonna be watching you. Let's talk about that in a little more detail. Let's talk about the 2020 election because there was there were two facets to it, um, and what you're dealing with is is the second part, which was actually the bigger part. The first part was what we saw on election day when they pull the blinds down and they move people out of the room and they keep the the uh, Republican uh, vote auditors away. Not, not to steal your thunder, but what about? All the laws that were changed at the last minute by the judiciary and not legislatures. Yeah, and we can go through. That's all part of it. Okay, You're I right. Just you know, throw that out there. The okay. two thousand mules, everything. Okay, that was that was the election day part of it. Okay, go back to where you were. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. That believe <laughs> me, that's all part of the same thing. You're describing this massive effort to say that uh, that Joe Biden got the most votes in history and that Donald Trump. Uh, only expanded his votes as an incumbent by 20 million, and that somehow didn't do it. Okay, that was the first part of the effort. The second part of the effort, um, and this goes back to Alinsky, the second part of the effort was the media and the Democrats you know, with, with a microphone, coast to coast, were all primed and ready because they instantly started talking about the, quote, most secure election in history, they started talking about the fact that everybody knows that Biden won. And before long, you're denying reality if you say the election was stolen. The worst part of all of that was within a week of the election day, we have the big voices on the right. And I'm not talking about the Mitch McConnell crowd. I'm talking about the, the, uh, you know, the radio talk show crowd, the, the, the Sean Hannity's and people like this. They're using terms like possible voter fraud. They uh, just backed right off. They backed away, and that was the bigger effort, and at that point, we were waving the white flag. Now, we can say possible voter fraud in the same sense that you can say the Titanic one night had a little bit of snow on the deck, okay? <laughs> it's, it's a gross understatement, a deliberate gross understatement, and it was proof, that's what they were looking for from us, proof that we didn't have a heart for the fight. And also, just to augment what you just said, notice what they also did. The, one of the standard uh, defenses, and I've heard Liz Cheney say this many, many times, she said, well, the, there was no widespread fraud. Now, that may be true, but it's a total non sequitur because they didn't need widespread. because They targeted it to specific areas at specific times. They knew exactly it was, it was done with a scalpel. Yeah, and it was, it was no just way. sufficient to get old Joe a tenth of a percent beyond the threshold of the so-called majority exactly. in the six exactly. states. And notice, speaking of projection, notice where it led. What was their phrase that they adopted then? The big lie. Oh, yeah. Yep. And when, in fact, the big lie is the Come, fact, is the them. claim yeah. that that was the most secure election. That is, that's not a, that's not just a lie. That's a whopper of, of Grand Canyon size. Right. I mean, it's just... And there are so many sources now. The problem was twofold, as I see it. Number one, 
our lawyers, the RNC and the uh, Trump campaign lawyers, were too busy doing other things. When I remember, I sent uh, I sent a letter. No, I sent an email to one of our local people, and I said, "If you've got any contacts contacts in the Trump administration or the con- the the campaign, please let them know." I just read a report. This was back in June of 2020. I said, "The Democrats have deployed 600 lawyers across this country, especially in swing states." And I said, "I assure you, they're not going in there to adjudicate traffic tickets, crickets." I heard nothing back, and it turns out after. Uh, a couple of books were written from guys on the inside that some of the Trump people said, don't worry about it. We got this. Mm-hmm. Well, they got that and we got everything we got now. Yeah. So I blame that. They knew also, the Democrat lawyers knew that it was going to take time to amass the evidence. And so the clock was running from that time until the date of certification of the election. And they knew that we couldn't beat the clock. Mm-hmm. They had it planned that way. It was all planned. Yeah, it's absolutely planned. Uh, and again, the publicity part of it was just as big of an element. And that's the part that we did have control of, that we dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see things that have been alleged actually work their way through the serious courts mm-hmm. and results. And I was just looking for it. I didn't find it. I may have the thing wrong. If I can't back it up, I'll have to delete this. But I think it was in Pennsylvania where they had all kinds of mail-in ballots that were not dated properly. And at the time, they said, we're going to go ahead and accept those ballots. Yeah, you're correct. That was a third circuit court of appeals opinion just came out yesterday. Yeah. And they, they backed yes. it up and said, no, you've got to throw those ballots out. That's right. That's right. Um, so the other, the other thing that is Trump came out and his people— made all kinds of movements within the courts trying to get anomalies looked at. And the popular view is that he threw all these things up against the court. They threw every one of them out. Yeah. They threw them out on standing. They didn't throw them out on substance. So they never did hear the argument. It was all procedural. There was one judge, one in Pennsylvania, um, who Patricia McConnell, I believe was her name. She's an appellate judge in Pennsylvania. She looked at that and said, you know, I think, you, but based on what you file, I think there is enough here to grant a full evidentiary hearing. The Democrat lawyers the next morning ran to the Democrat-dominated uh, Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. They said immediately, no, stop, quit. That was the only one. The rest of them, the cutest one I saw was estoppel by latches. Now, that's a that's a fancy legal term, and all it means is you didn't beat the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all it means. Yeah. There was stall, stall, delay, delay. And I don't even blame the judges here. I don't because their hands in a lot of instances were tied. I blame the Supreme Court for not taking the Pennsylvania case because that was constitutional. But anyway, those people also have children. And they're starting to worry, you know, gosh, uh, if I rule this way, I wonder if that's where we've come. It is yeah. Absolutely. That's where we've come. It, it's kind of terrifying sitting on the verge of going to Cheyenne to the legislature. What kinds of pressures are going to come? You can bet that they're there. But we have to do what you're suggesting, Chris, in your book. We have to stand by the truth. We have to stand out and do the right thing and... Let God sort it out. Exactly. Let me let me suggest just as a legislator one of the one of the old tricks 
that uh, they'll, the, the system, the, the swamp down there will tell you. So you promote a bill, and it's a worthwhile bill, but the good old boys don't like it. And so it gets shot down in committee or on the floor or whatever, and that's, quote, a humiliation. Can you're humiliated. Now, if you play the game, if you fall into it, play it along those ways, it's like you're going to back off because, wow, I overstepped, and now I'm, you know, now I'm a pariah or whatever. All you have to do in those situations is say, look at my worthwhile bill and look at him, him, and him, and her who voted against it. And that's how it got shot down. Now you're not on a defensive posture. They are. I want to finally leave one thought also for our Christian audience, and that is that we oftentimes hear in the times that we're living in now, we start seeing it more and more, people often quote um, Second Chronicles, and they quote verse 14 of chapter 7, and it says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. What people don't realize is they don't read the verse right before it. Because that's verse 14. Here's what verse 13 said. If I, this is from God, if I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, then the only way out is to humble yourself. So this tells me, as a Bible believer, that what we're looking at now may well have all been set up by God, who happens to be in charge of everything anyway, and he's saying, I think, to us, do you really care? Because I'm about to put you in a position like you've never seen before. And here we are, from gas prices to inflation to border to, to the, 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 the child abuse, all that stuff. And now, now it's D-Day number two, November the 8th. We're going to see the American people can stand up and say, you know what? We need to stop this now. But I think one thing that we need to remember is that even if we do stand up, we stand on our principles, we we believe that we have to do what God tells us to do, we have no assurance that everything will be okay. Correct. It might really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have to do it anyway. I'd like to add only one thing to what you said there. It mentions in Second Chronicles 7.14, turn from our wicked ways. Okay, I'm guessing in this room we don't have too many drug dealers or thieves or murderers. Our wicked ways, and this I'm speaking this to the body of Christ, the Christians in this country, our wicked ways has been apathy. Yeah, and that was predicted in Second Timothy. One real quick, chapter four, verses three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Guilty as charged. Chris and Charlie, thank you so much for being here today. It was great to meet you, and I hope that we have other discussions, even if they have to be long distance.